the weekly message from Encounter, where the past has no future and hope is reborn. Our speaker today is Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor at Encounter. Church, how you doing? Good to see you guys. Yeah, I'm always glad to be alive. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to your book, your Bible, in the book of Psalms, chapter 37. Every one of those days, I'm the only one. Maybe me and uh, Tracy, and yeah, those come along once in a while, don't they? Had one yesterday, <laughs> but but I got to end it well. I had a date with my girl, so that fixed it. told her I would help her weed our front yard. Do you know why they call that stuff sawgrass? Because it will rip up your arms, I found out. And got done with that, and Saturday's my day off, so I was glad to get done with that. I mean, got inside, and Gail Beth was getting ready to take a shower, and the the water isn't flowing out of the bathtub. And uh, so tried to plunge and then notice it's not flowing out of the bathroom sink either, so the problem is bigger. And snake wouldn't work. So that turned into taking apart plumbing pipes that have been there since 1951. It's the old galvanized pipes. Some of them were so hard, literally, literally, there was one pipe we're trying to get off. JJ and I have a pipe wrench on it. We each have our own pipe wrench and are hanging on the pipe, and it doesn't turn. <laughs> and when it did turn, we finally got it turned. Stuff came out you don't want to talk about. And I can't wash it off. And I got blisters. And I'm whining, so let's go on with the service. <laughs> Psalms 37, verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass. And wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord 
and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plots against the just, and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy, to slay those who are of upright conduct. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken. But the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish. Into smoke they shall vanish away. The wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Would you pray with me and for me this morning? Father, I just have a singular purpose and desire this morning, and that is to convey this word in your heart. Holy Spirit, you're the real teacher. You know every individual in this room. You know exactly where they're at and what they're going through. So I ask you to minister minister to their heart. I release you to do what you do so well. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. These are times that we're living in that, let's be honest, they're challenging. Um, Most people would like to do a reset on 2020. And I don't think it's surprises are over. But it's 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 a time that just challenges people. It's a time that causes people to question. And it's a time that you and I need to be reminded of the facts. 
you and I need to be encouraging to one another. It's a time when a, a good word, fitly chosen, should be given. It's a time we have to be careful what we say and what we do. People are just touchy nowadays. You can look at somebody the wrong way. And it's a time when even good people question whether or not it's a value to do good. When we look at those who are not good and they are doing evil and they prosper and they get away with it, when there seems to be no recompense for their actions, good people can easily become discouraged. We can, if we're not careful, get to the place that we think that the answer to our discouragement is to compromise. A little here and a little there. A little softening of our values. How many know what I'm talking about? You're tempted to think that because that they got away with that, it's not a big deal if I do this. And we can easily forget that the scripture says that it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. I, I don't lose any sleep over anybody in this room going out and committing murder. I don't lose any sleep over that. I don't think, let me look around one more time. Okay, I only think a couple of you could do that. I don't think any of you will do that. I don't expect to see any of you on the news because you've committed armed robbery. But it's not those things that concern a pastor. It's those little foxes. It's those incremental steps of, of, of moral failure because we become discouraged. We become what the Bible warns us against. We become weary in well-doing. Now I want to encourage you this morning. I'm going to give you the word that I believe God has given to me, and that is simply this, to stay the course. It's not a time in the midst of what we see going on in our land to change who we are. If anything, it's a time that we fine-tune and more clearly become who God has called the church to be. It's a time that it's easy to be discouraged, but it's even more dangerous as a believer to become discouraged. Because we are the bearers of light. We are the ones that are supposed to have the light and the love of God inside of us. And if we lose hope, all of those looking to us will falter. We in the church need to know something. Everything in the Word of God is true. Everything in the Word of God is true. God knows what's going on. And even though we live in a time when those that are not doing right seem to be prospering, all the way back in the days of David, David saw that people needed a word from God of encouragement that God still sees you. 
turn to the person next to you and tell them God still sees you. He knows what's going on. When you are faithful in the little things, when you are faithful in the, the little steps, when you're honest over the littlest of things. I know there's been a couple of times in my life when God was fine-tuning honesty in me. One came when Gail Beth, shortly after we got married, and I, I had to learn to just be raw and honest with everything I said, and that was a change that God had to do in my heart. I had learned to navigate life by playing in the shadows. Let me know what I'm talking about. Not really lying, but kind of lying. It's sort of true. It's kind of if you close one eye and tilt your head this way, it's kind of the truth. I can, I can see circumstances where that could be true, and, and I, I lived there, and, and, and God had to fine-tune my heart. And, and then a number of years into the ministry, he had to challenge me again to fine-tune my heart even closer, that that even flattering people with the best of intentions is just wrong. And I had a habit in those days of being by the door when people would leave, and I would, I would shake their hand as they're leaving. And I'm just as human as the next guy. I love everybody, but some people I don't like too well. I didn't mean to be looking at you when I said that. I, I swear, I swear, it just, it just happened, man, honestly. I'm not sure where I would have been looking, but it didn't intend it to be you. And, and, and come on, people, don't look at me that way. I love everybody, but there are some people who, and, 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 and as people were leaving, you know, I was like, it's good to see you today. So, so, so glad you came today. Praise the Lord. It's good to see you. It's great to see you today. God bless you. You have a good week. And then I came to that one person. And in the moment I went to, sh I'll get you. The moment I went to shake their hand, I realized I couldn't say what I just said because I didn't mean a lick of it. So I said, you were here today. It's true. They were here today. I confirmed it. Let everything be confirmed in the mouth of two or three witnesses. And they kind of looked at me funny, but it was just. But there's a safety in, in walking in truth and being honest. And I, I got to laugh about that later, but God was dialing in my honesty. I had to be willing to be honest because I, I found that that if I was dishonest in the smallest of things, it later aided me. And I found that if I was dishonest in, in this, it was easier to be dishonest here. Now, I'm never going to be dishonest in all of that. You know what I'm talking about? But this is just so close to... And then when, when I'm here... You know what I'm talking about. The phone rings. Is that for me telling them I'm not home? Okay. 
then I could, if I'm dishonest here, I'll eventually get discomfortable with this. And then I'll be dishonest here because it's only a little bit more dishonest than that was. And then the next thing I noticed is a couple of years later, I am far from being honest. And when we get discouraged, those are easy steps to take. It's, it's just this. It's just that. It's just, <coughs> it's just this. It's just that. And, and it takes you farther and farther away. You and I need to fight against discouragement. Hope deferred makes your heart sick. When you have a sick heart, you, you seek to remedy it by, by doing things you think will make you feel better. Nobody wrecks their life because everything's going good. People wreck their life because something's wrong in their heart. And as a believer, it become, can become dangerous when you know that God has plans for you but you're not living them right now. When you know God has a course for your life, but you're not there yet. I mean, know what I'm talking about. You somehow know, be it a prophecy, be it a, a rhema word from him, somehow you know that God has something better for you, far better for you than you have right now, and there's a danger that comes with that because now, right now, doesn't feel comfortable anymore. When you know he has that for you, anything short of that is discouraging. For a while, I struggled with God's call in my life. I didn't, I didn't want to be a preacher. I didn't, I didn't want a pastor. I didn't want to get up in front of people. I didn't want to do any of that. I, I'd gotten saved, and I had a relationship with him, and I loved him, but I didn't want to do that. And through a series of events, he, he took that out of me, but then one day he let me know what that looked like. And my heart embraced that. But I got up the next morning, and my life wasn't that. Can anybody relate? It's like, I don't want to go to work. I want to do that. I don't want to have to earn a living. I want to do that. I don't want to struggle with these feelings. I want to do that. And we get frustrated when God doesn't give us that immediately. We misunderstand why he showed us that. David is tending sheep one day. It's just a normal day. And, and all of a sudden, one of his brothers shows up and says, Come on. What? What? Come on. The prophet's here. What's, what's, what's the prophet want? What's, he, what's the preacher want? Why is the pastor knocking on my door? Just come on. He's calling for you. So David scrambles as a young kid. 
he scrambles away from the sheepfold. And you've got to understand, a shepherd, that's pretty low. That's like garbage man, sewer cleaner, low on the job totem pole. Hard, lonely, hot, cold, dangerous life. And so David leaves the sheep and he goes and he stands in front of the prophet. And the prophet looks him in the eye, this young boy, probably 12 or 13 years old. The prophet looks at David and said, you're the next king of Israel. Pours oil on his head. Nobody at that ceremony was excited about that. Dad didn't like it. Dad didn't even call him when the prophet showed up. The other five brothers that got passed over didn't like it. David gets anointed the next king over Israel. And the prophet turns and walks away. And dad and the brothers head back to the house. And David's standing there with oil all over himself. And he has to turn and go back and take care of sheep. And he sits down and he's like, what in the world? If I'm the next king of Israel, what am I doing with these nasty sheep? What am I doing here? I'm sleeping out under the stars by myself. I'm encountering danger by myself. These things smell they're stupid. What am I doing? I'm the king of Israel. Why am I out here? And can you imagine the next day getting up and saying, what am I doing? And days turned into weeks and weeks turned into months. And you can imagine how that felt. And while those days and weeks and months are going on, the other guy who's sitting on the throne, who's the king over Israel, keeps operating as king. And one day David gets a message from dad, come in from the fields. Dad calls him in. I'm sure he's thinking, oh, today I'm going to be king? Is it today? Are they calling for me? And dad says, no, listen, your mom's made some sandwiches for your brothers. You're, you're a sandwich boy today. Take the sandwiches to your brothers and see how they're doing. And by the way, tell the king we're for him. David packs up his sandwiches and heads for the, the side of a valley where a Philistine giant is calling out. You know the rest of the story. Surely when David got done killing that giant... You know, you know, you know, he thought, today's the day I become king. No, today was the day he became target for Saul. It can be frustrating to know that God has a plan for your life. At 18 years old, I sat in a pickup truck. Five or six years before I'm getting saved. 
I got hair down to my shoulders. I'm jamming out to ACDC. And a lady comes to the window of my truck and tells me she's been praying for me. My thought was, good luck with that. And then she prophesies that one day I'm going to get saved. Listen, when you can prophesy over somebody listening, highway to hell, you got God in you. She prophesies that I'm going to get saved and God's going to call me into the ministry and I'm going to pastor churches. I didn't know Gail Beth at that time, but you know what? God knew that she would be my wife, so that prophecy is as much about her as it is about me. Five or six years before I got saved, this lady's looking me in the face, telling me. And then when I get saved, I still don't want what God wanted for me. There's a danger in knowing what God has for you because the danger is that, that the enemy will now tell you that if that isn't what you're experiencing right now, that you're failing. If something's wrong with your walk with God, if you were right with God, you'd have that. If everything was good between you and God, that's where you'd be. Anybody hear my, what I'm talking about? And everything short of that is a failure. <coughs> And yet the reality is that God knows that if he gave you all of that right now, you'd be in trouble. Go to the story that we call the prodigal son. Father, give me everything I've got coming. See how that turned out? He wasted it all. Listen, there's a word here for somebody this morning. It says here in these scriptures that the steps of a good man are ordered of God. That tells you there's a process involved. The prophet isn't just going to come pour oil on you and all of a sudden you're king. God's letting you know ahead of time. He's being gracious to you and I ahead of time. To show you when I'm done with you, that's what it's going to look like. But you and I are supposed to enjoy the journey. That you don't get there in a moment. You don't get called from the sheepfold in a moment, anointed king over Israel, and tomorrow wake up in the palace. There's a process to get from here to back here. There's a process to get you to the place that God has for you. There's a, there's a procedure and a process that you and I have to go through, and he calls it steps. The steps are ordered by God. And, and there's a danger because the enemy will tell you because you're here, 
and not there, something's wrong. The reality is, God is going to get you there. He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it. God is not a man that he should lie. God watches over his word to perform it. His word to you is as real and alive as the moment he gave it to you. But so is this step that you're in. What God prophesied to my wife and I that day when I was 18 years old hasn't yet fully come to pass. But we're closer now than we've ever been. But we got closer by the first step. The first step, God had to get some stuff out of me. I thought I could do it. I, I thought I had the ability, the intelligence. I mean, I, I've been running my own business since I was 14 years old. I wanted to be a millionaire by the time I was 25, and I was almost there. And then I get saved. And I thought that God would take me from that point to where he wants me to go. But in reality, he had to take all that away from me. And now I understand that every step was necessary. Hear me. I got saved and I got to start depending on him. Not a little bit, not kind of, not a nod in his direction. I have to depend on him fully for everything. If I'm ever going to be that man, if Gail Beth and I are ever going to have the ministry that he's called us to, we can't depend on him a little bit. And so right here in this step, you know what he had to do? He had to make it so that nothing I did worked. I owned three companies in real estate, and I, I couldn't make anything work. I'll never forget as long as I live, somebody who had worked for me for years looked me in the face and said, what happened to you? The golden boy has lost his touch. And I thought, I don't know what's wrong. I can't make anything work. What used to work doesn't work anymore. So I tried to compromise with God. One of the businesses I owned was a donut shop. I thought, you know what, I know God's called me and I'm not fulfilling that calling. Maybe, maybe I'll do Bible studies at night in the donut shop. That'll make him happy. That'll get him off my back. So Thursday nights, we had Bible studies, and people started coming, and more and more people, and I'm like, yeah. Now he's off my back. I really don't have to do that pastoring thing. I just do Bible studies on Thursday nights until he took the donut shop away. What do you mean by took it away? We went, listen, we went from selling 300-plus dozen donuts a day to where we would be lucky to sell two dozen donuts. And it happened that fast. <laughs> Literally that fast. I'll never forget stopping in the donut shop at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. By that time, we were typically almost totally sold out. And I walk in the door, and the racks are filled with donuts. <laughs> Gail Beth was working, and I looked at her, and I said, what happened? 
I said, did the opener not show up? And no, she showed up on time. Just, I got to the point, I'm checking the front door. It does open. People can get inside. And listen to me, there came a time in my life as a believer that this step was I became homeless. From a guy who just 17 months earlier was nipping at being worth a million dollars, I'm now standing there homeless. I remember going to, for the first time in my life, going to the welfare office, applying for food stamps. I filled out the form. They asked me, how much did you make last year? I put it down on there. I was honest. Last year, I made $197,000. It's, it's March of this year. And the lady looked at my application. She said, I'm sorry, you don't qualify. I said, what do you mean I don't qualify? She said, you made too much money last year. I said, that's the operative word in that is last year. I'm hungry right now. I am homeless and hungry right now. This is literally what she said. Come back in a year and you'll qualify. <laughs> Nothing like kicking a guy when he's down. And I want to tell you something. That moment of losing everything I worked so hard for for that many years, I didn't enjoy it. But I stand here today to tell you I thank God I went through that. Why? Because this step was ordered by God. And every good and perfect gift come down from him. Several months after that, I'm, just, I'm at the lowest of the low that you can get. I felt like nobody could help me. I felt like nobody cared. It was wrong, but that's what my belief was. And I remember curling up in the corner of a house. I'm cold. I had to prop open the plywood to crawl in the window so I had some place to stay. And I'm curled up in the corner and I'm crying that my life is a mess. And I literally had a borrowed sleeping bag that my girlfriend, now my wife, gave me to use and the clothes on my back and my Bible. And I'm hungry and I'm cold. And I said to God, you've made a mess out of my life. I was somebody. I was going somewhere. I, I had stuff. And now here I am. I'm cold and I'm hungry and I'm alone. Is this what you do? Nobody cares about me. And all of a sudden, I realized he was there. I don't know how to put it into words. I knew he was there. Did I enjoy that step? I hated it with a passion. But at that same time, I got dangerous that night because I found out that he's enough. He is absolutely enough that if I still have breath in my lungs, that no matter what I'm going through, no matter what I'm facing, he's still with me. Listen to me, church. To get to there, I needed this step. I hated this step. But I needed this step. 
Why did I need that? So that now as a, as a pastor, as a man of God, I can look anybody in the face and tell them it doesn't matter how bad your life is right now, God can fix it. And they can see the conviction in my eyes and they can know that I'm telling them the truth. It's not something I read about somebody else's story. I lived it. I needed that step. The steps of a good man are ordered of God. We, we answered the call of ministry. Gail, Beth, and I get married. We eventually answer the call to ministry. We go to pastor our first church and there isn't anybody. We were told there'd be 75, 70 or 75 people on the first Sunday. There wasn't nobody. There wasn't nobody for months. And we held, held church service. I hated it. I absolutely hated it. Imagine this building and there's not a soul up there. Get up front. Gail Beth would lead us in worship, holding the baby. She'd get done, I'd get up and preach. And then there were times when the baby would get fussy and he'd need fed or he'd need changed. In the middle of my message, how dare he? Doesn't he know I'm a man of God? And so she'd have to leave in the middle of my message. And I kept preaching. And I hated it because I thought at any moment somebody's going to walk in the door and I'm preaching like I am now and they're going to walk in and see an empty building and some guy preaching and they're going to leave and the guys with the white coats are going to show up. And Sunday morning and Sunday night we preach and Wednesday night we teach and there's just us. I hated that step. I hated praying and getting ready and preparing, knowing I'm going to step into a pulpit and there's not going to be nobody looking back at me except Gail Beth. And then even times, she's not even in the room. How, how many can understand? I'm thankful for her faithfulness, but when you're preaching, you want more than just one person. I hated that step. But I needed that step. I needed that step because in that, in that this season of our life, we learned this. We learned you don't have to have people for God to show up. You don't have to have people. I learned something that is proven valuable. We learned something that was proven valuable. You can love people but not need them. I, I, I would to God that everything I preach please everybody, but if it doesn't please anybody, I want you to know I really don't care. I really don't care. I, we have one person we're doing ministry for. His name is God the Father. And, and so I can say whatever he tells me to say. And I hope that you like it, but if you don't, it really doesn't matter because I learned that. We learned to do ministry in that step. I hated that step, but guess what? That step was ordered by God. And then when we had bills we couldn't pay and no way to make it happen, I hated that step. I hated it with a passion. 
we went there. We left a good-paying job to go to that ministry, and we, we got down there, and my full intentions was to take a couple of weeks and try to get things in order, then go find a job somewhere. I got marketable skills. And in that ensuing couple of weeks, I, I go to God in prayer, and, and he says something to me. I don't want you to get a job right now. I need you full time. I remember saying to him, did you notice the attendance on Sunday? Our offering was $22. And I put that in there. <laughs> How exactly is this going to work? I hated that step. But I needed that step. I hated when people started coming. And I had a Sunday school teacher who just bless your heart. He, he loved God as much as anybody I've ever seen. And he would start teaching on Sunday morning about the joy of God. And before the service is done, he'd be bawling about how much he loved God. He'd teach on the Holy Spirit, he'd bawl about how much he loved God. He'd teach against sin, he'd bawl about how much he loved God. And then one day I get a phone call. This 86-year-old man is in the hospital. He's had four bypasses already, and he's in the hospital with a heart attack. And I walked in the room, and I hated being there. I don't like all that doctor stuff. How many know what I'm talking about? And all the mayhem, and here's my only Sunday school teacher I've ever had as a pastor up to this point. And I loved him to death, and he's on the bed, and he's dead. And they're injecting, and they're zapping, and they're this and that, and nothing's happening. And the whole time, God is telling me, lay hands on him and pray. Lay hands on him and pray. I'm like, no, there's people doing stuff. <laughs> they don't need me to stick my nose in the middle of their business. He says, you lay hands on them and pray. I said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do that, God. I just, I mean, I, I got to make people move to get to him. You can imagine the mayhem as the monitor background is just a flat line. And I'm saying, no, God. And I thought about, you know, I'll feel terrible if I leave the hospital tonight and not pray. So, but that's the good thing is nobody will know. That's what I said to myself. Nobody will know. I didn't pray. And God very gently said, I'll know. And I didn't want to hurt him. I thought, you know what, these people, I'll never see these people again. I, I, what does it matter? They don't know who I am now. I'll never see them again. What does it matter? And while I'm having this wrestling match in my mind, I hear the doctor, one of the doctors say, we're ready to call it. You know what? I'm going to hit and run. I'm going to pray, and I'm out of here. I remember as clear as that yesterday. I said, excuse me. I had to push my way between these two people, and I put my hand on his forehead. And I said it out loud. I said, okay, I did what you told me to do. I'm praying for him, God. I'm praying your will into his life. I did it. Are you happy? I did it. Your will into his life right now. And I heard the heart monitor take a jump. And then his heartbeat returned to normal. 
And I remember with a lady standing to my right, she said, well, you look at that. And I'm, I'm as shocked as everybody in the room. And I, I, just, I just take my hand off his forehead and I step back and I'm like, what in, the, what in the world just happened here? Brother Charles Davis blinked his eyes and he blinked his eyes and he sat up with that Charles Davis grin. He just looked around the room. 40 minutes later, he walked out of the hospital under his own power. Listen to me for a moment. Listen to me. I, I, you got to hear me. I hated that moment. I thought, what if I, what if I pray for him and, he, and nothing happens? I'll question the voice of God in my head forever. Can, can anybody relate to what I'm saying? I hated that moment. I, 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 I liked it when he sat up and grinned. But I hated that moment. But I needed that moment. I needed that moment of everybody in the room saying it's over. And that little voice in my head saying, no, it's not. Because there were going to be countless times I'm going to walk into somebody's room and they need somebody to intercede in that moment. And I, I can do that with faith. I can do that. I needed that step. And yet I wanted to be there. Can, is anybody getting this? And I'm telling you from somebody who's now made some progress, I'm telling you, enjoy the step. It's been ordered by God. That mess you're in is not a mess you're in. It's a testimony in the making. It's a victory that's coming slow. It's a process ordered by God. You're there in those steps. He doesn't leapfrog you. He doesn't slingshot you. He doesn't hurl you to your destiny. He walks you to your destiny. Step by step by step. You say, but pastor, there's a, there's a part of that verse that discounts me. It says that the steps of a good man. I'm going to mess right now because I wasn't a good man. I wasn't a good person. I'm going to mess right now because I'm a mess and I made a mess. You know, that's the beauty of God. That good man in Psalm 37 becomes righteous man in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you had to be good. In the New Testament, you have to be righteous. Righteous means in right relationship with God. If you've made a bad move in your life and it's put you in a mess, make it right with God. Repent. Own it. Now God can take that which was meant for your evil and use it for your good. And so that step that was meant for your evil now comes ordered of God. you got to get the meaning of here. It's literally saying that God will take that step that the enemy planned and he will now take control over it and he will order how that turns out. 
It's now ordered of God. You're in right relationship with him. And I want to tell you something. If you get this, you'll understand it all. God is not preparing the blessing for you. He's preparing you for the blessing. The moment, the moment he put that into your heart, the moment he told you what he's called you to, the moment you got that prophecy, the moment you got that rhema word from God, you need to know something. Before he gave you that promise, he already fulfilled that promise. The disciples in the boat, I'll meet you on the other side. That moment they were guaranteed to get to the other side. And when they're rowing in the midst of the storm and it looks like the Bible says that he's going to walk right past them, it's because he was going to walk right past them. They were never in any danger. They were so not in danger, Jesus said, man, we'll up the ante here. Come. He told Peter, get out. You can, you don't need that boat. You don't need all that rowing. You can just get out and walk on the water. Because I said you were going to get there. There is no wave big enough to take you under. God is not preparing that blessing for you. He's preparing you for the blessing. I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man, those things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. You don't see it, you may not hear it, you have a hard time comprehending it, but God has revealed that to you where he's taking you, and you need to know that every step between here and there has been ordered by God. So enjoy the battle. The battle may have you back tending sheep, but I'm going to be king. The battle may have you delivering sandwiches, but I'm going to be king. The battle may have you down in a valley with some stick, with a stick and some stones facing a giant, but I'm going to be king. The step may have you hunted by the king that presently lives in that office, throwing spears at your head, but I'm going to be king. You may be hiding in a cave while the king's got his whole army of Israel that one day you will command. He's got them hunting you down like a dog, but I'm going to be king. Saul had no chance of ever catching David because God said, you're going to be king. And every step of the way, God was preparing David just like he's preparing you. Would you stand to your feet this morning, church? That's Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor of Encounter. More messages from Pastor Rice are available at our website, godenc.com. You can subscribe to our regular podcast through our website or on iTunes. Find us on Facebook under Encounter.